All right, best hour of their day is here with Adam Fight of Precision Nutrition. Adam, give us your current titles over at the preeminent nutrition organization. No problem, Jason, appreciate you having me on here. So right now with Precision Nutrition, I am a curriculum developer for our content team and curriculum strategy, as well as the performance nutrition coordinator with our athlete coaching circle. Sounds impressive. How, <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> how did you get started with Precision Nutrition? Well, how much time we got? You want the short abridged version or you want to see how the whole fanboy with Dr. John Berardi started too? Oh, you know, we recently had John Berardi on the podcast. I know he's on sabbatical. He took one hour of work over the next four months and it was, you know, a privilege for us to have that hour of work be uh, you know, a podcast of best hour of their day. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. let's uh, give, start there and then, you know, ramp it up. So, you know, our listeners have very short attention spans. Anything yeah. longer than, than 30 seconds, they don't pay attention. That's like the athletes I coach at the university. So yeah, essentially how it all started was I found a lot of the articles and, and work that Dr. John Brardy had been doing, you know, when he was running johnbrardy.com and ScienceLink. I was an undergrad exercise science major in the early 2000s, did an internship with the U.S. Olympic Training Center for strength conditioning, and essentially got, the, got a chance to work with the bobsled team there and was like, yeah, hey, just came down from the seminar, this guy, Dr. John Brardy, precision nutrition, all, you know, everybody's ranting and raving about that. And went to the website at that time. It was a $100 buy-in fee for a three-ring binder. And this was 2006, so almost 15 years ago. And that's just kind of how it all started. So I, I bought into the product, was a competitive collegiate athlete, ended up using the system to lose weight, kind of get in track with coaching, and then just followed John's work over the years. And eventually became a client with the PN Coaching Program, did their level one and level two certifications and, and brought me on board. So I'm in my fifth year right now uh, working with them. Okay, so five years with PN. You said you founded in 2006. So what went on in those you know, eight, nine years before you, you, you got on staff there? Yeah, actually a, a lot, quite a bit. And a lot of it was really geared in strength conditioning coaching. I had gotten an undergrad degree in there. I wanted to work at the division one level. So after I'd found PN, I had a really nice segue into kind of adding to my toolkit for a strength conditioning coach at the college level. So did some more internships, worked at Arizona State, got a graduate assistant position at the Citadel Military College in South Carolina. Uh, took that for a two-year run at University of Louisville football, where I was able to, you know, use strength and nutrition coaching together. Took that up to Eastern Michigan University for a year as their head coach. Went to the NFL for a quick year with the Carolina Panthers, again, as an assistant and nutrition coordinator. And then met a couple online that wanted to open up their own performance facilities. So I co-founded Reach Your Potential Training out in New Jersey. So I did that for a solid five years working with kids. And now finishing up my third year in my PhD in sport and exercise psychology. Wow, quite the resume. Eastern Michigan. Did you know my buddy Matt Torres? Who doesn't know Matt Torres? Wait, you really know Matt? I don't know Matt. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about tell me about Matt, Jason. Well, no, he just owns a box, North Naples CrossFit, phenomenal okay. box. There's a there's a very high likelihood it was Central Michigan University. So that could explain why you don't know him, but I you know, it seemed Couple about hours. the right, right, about the right time frame, though, for you to know him. But, you know, 
good guy nonetheless. Yeah, he's been on the podcast. He owns a great box in, in Naples that I coached at when living there. But um, so let's, let's talk now about precision nutrition. I've done the level one. My wife has done the one and two. Awesome. What is with the new push to get into the CrossFit space? So that's a, a really great question. I'm glad you brought that up. And I think, you know, for us, it comes down to how can we help as, as many people eat, move and live better, right? And so, you know, we've been very fortunate to work with, you know, over 100,000 clients, we've been able to work with coaches like yourself and certifying, you know, over 70,000 of them. And I think what has, what has been unique in this space of health and fitness professionals is this idea of, you know, where are these missing areas for, for maximal impact? And, you know, for myself being a, a college and professional strength conditioning coach at one point, you know, seeing what we can do with not just the movement of CrossFit, but in, in performance nutrition in general, right? And so I think it's important to really commend you know, the, the movement like CrossFit. I remember taking my USAW weightlifting certification when I was 19 in like early 2000s. And you know, it was a couple hundred bucks, right? Like, where are we going to do this? We had to drive a couple hours out in Vermont. And because of, you know, this movement with CrossFit now, more than ever, right? People are Olympic lifting, you're taking the set entry individual and getting them off the ground and teaching them Olympic lifts, right? Like getting them healthier and, and creating lifelong habits. So you know, for us, I, I can't give an official stand on, you know, exactly why, but to me as a, as a coach and somebody that's dabbled with that type of training, you know, it just makes sense of what other types of people, what areas of coaches and clients could use our help. And, and that's what we're here for. So we're seeing a lot of people out there in the across the world dive in. I mean, I have, what, what do you think separates precision nutrition? I mean, you can go and, and take many courses, you know, from a PhD level, mm -hmm. you know, to just, you know, getting a certificate out of the you know back of a textbook what what separates pn what i take a lot of pride in not just the people we work with but also how we do it and how we educate other coaches and for the for the biggest piece there i would say it really comes down to the the art of coaching nutrition and i remember when i first got into strength conditioning and nutrition coaching i had taken a weekend certificate program paid you know probably 5 600 bucks and it was really a regurgitation of, you know, the biochemistry and the macros and just periodizing everything. But there were no take-home points, right? How do you work with a client that doesn't want to change? How do you work with somebody in the context of their real life, right? Because as we know, right, you can give out macros, you can give out meal plans, but if you're not helping those individuals actually put it into the day-to-day -day operations of their life, it's just going to be another you know, lifetime special, three ninety nine, buy now and, and, and whatnot, or another Facebook challenge. So to wrap all that up, I think what we do a really, really nice job of is, yes, we're going to review the science. We're going to, you know, introduce some of these key ideas that maybe have been forgotten about, but we're going to give you tangible tools and skills and, and really teach you how to communicate with your clients, whether they're CrossFit athletes, whether they're general population, anybody that's looking to make a change in their nutritional area. How do you recommend a CrossFit box owner address that. So, you know, our primary audience are box owners and coaches. Mm -hmm. So they're listening to this, or maybe they listen to the Berardi interview, or just, you know, we talk about nutrition all the time, and they think, I want to implement this at my affiliate. What are some of the things they must do? And what are some things they should avoid? 
Yeah, another great question. You are crushing the podcast host game. So <laughs> this is my first this. first episode too. So you know, <laughs> beginner's luck. Would have never known. But another another great idea here is to really clarify, I think, what your clients want. So the people that are coming to your box, the people, you know, what what is it that they're really after? Hardly ever these people are gonna come in and saying, you know, I want to PR this type of time, or I want to, you know, clean and jerk this, or I want to snatch that. And and that could be part of the process. But I think understanding and actually taking the time, setting the table, having a conversation with them of, of clarifying their goals, what their values are, how they identify themselves and really what their priorities are. And then taking the information that they've given you and spinning that into a way of here's here are some ideas to help you get there. And I know just working with athletes over the years, right? Like it's very easy. I, you know, I was watching some of the videos you're, you're dropping into CrossFit boxes and, and giving some coaching cues. You know, it's very easy for the most part to get people stronger, right? It's very easy for the most part to work on their technique and their skill development. It's very difficult to have them do the same thing with their nutrition lifestyle and, and coaching there. So I think when you have CrossFit owners that prioritize nutrition, they prioritize movement, they prioritize these areas of what we call deep health, I think it's, it's, it's a knock out of the park because you're not just going in there and having clients crush themselves or, or take just pride in, in what they're doing on the platform or in the box itself, but they're bringing these skills into the kitchen, into their home with their families, at work, and they're really going to be able to see those essentially those steps take into play. What is the biggest misconception out there when it comes to nutrition? I know, right? I'm hitting you hard. This is, that is, you would, that's a, that's a, I wouldn't even, I would say that's a high fastball. Like it's a, it's an easy, <laughs> qu- right? it's a simple question, but it's coming in hot. Coming in hot. From my perspective. Yep. From my perspective, I'm going to have to go with everybody thinks, I would say everybody, because I don't like to think in absolutes, which will go into my next statement. Many people think of nutrition as all or nothing. Many people think they got to be all in, all gas, no breaks, right? Like you're doing a specific diet. If it's carnivore, you are all in, you're doing all the meats, everything, in, right? If it's plant-based, you know, there is nothing animal product whatsoever, I see a lot of people make that mistake, whether that's coaches and clients. And I think transitioning from an all or nothing mindset to an always something, and that's a progress minded attitude can really set a lot of people apart in a, in a good manner. Speaking of carnivore diet, you know, it's the buzz these days. I'm a big fan of Mark Bell. He's committed, (laughs) committed to coming on the podcast, getting him to lock, getting him locked down is a, is a, you know, bit of a pain. But, I mean, you can't deny the progress he's making. Um, if you go on Mark Bell's you know, YouTube every day, he puts a new video up, and it's pretty impressive. But what's your opinion on it? I think it's – when we look at any types of diets or ways of eating here, we, we've got to really look at it all in context, right? How does, how does a diet like that fit in the context of his, his daily life? So does he measure success with – uh, cognitive performance as he measure success with a slimmer waistline is are his personal best in the gym right still at the level that he wants and so I'm always up for clients and coaches to try things and to just be really rigorous with what it means to them how they evaluate success and, and can they keep doing that I think we've all experimented with types of diets I remember doing paleo many many years ago like right when my son was born 
and saw a lot of great results. But for me, it wasn't sustainable uh, within the context of my life. So, you know, I can't give a, a true position statement on that. I think with anything, you can find benefits, you can find drawbacks, but it really comes down to the client and, and having them use what we call outcome-based decision-making. Are they making progress? Are they happy? Can they be sustainable? And where does this fit on a day-to-day -day operation of, of what they're looking for? So if someone wants to do something and you, you suggest that, you know, they should know how they measure success, what if they don't know? How do, how do you help someone determine what that means? That another one, great one. I think it's look, the, look, every question is going to be good going forward. You don't have to keep saying that. All right. Just assume if I'm talking, it's really intelligent. <laughs> I can hear that. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll leave that out for more room for answers later. <laughs> so it's a great opportunity for you to clarify that with them. Uh, a technique we use is what we call like our destination postcard. So you have somebody that really doesn't know what that success looks like. It's opening up this conversation, right? In a perfect world, where are you at the end of this journey? Where are you at the end of this challenge, whether it's six weeks, it's 12 weeks, it's 20 weeks, maybe it's next year and have them work backwards, right? And in, in coaching, we, we call that periodization. You, ha you have an outcome. How do I prepare them to get there? Where are we going to take our unload weeks? How are we going to change that? So I want to spend some time helping them work through that. And then we sit there and work on how to evaluate that accordingly. Because for them, it might be, hey, I want to lose 20 pounds. Awesome. And that might dig into other areas of their life where they might see progress as well, or I'd like to see progress, right? Would losing 20 pounds help their confidence? It might. Would losing 20 pounds help their relationship with their kids? It might. So I think going to the outcome, to the destination, and then working backwards, I think is, is a nice strategy that any coach can use. So you've probably worked with hundreds, if not thousands of nutrition clients at this point. What... What have you found to be the most common measure of success for those people? I would say in the market that we're in, especially with how it's saturated in the industry in terms of what people are looking for, they're going to look for some sort of weight loss. So if they automatically look for weight loss, they think it's a success. However, we know as coaches, a lot can happen with that weight loss, right? If they're on a, let's say, low carbohydrate diet, a lot of that weight loss could be water at the beginning, right? So using that weight loss, but also translating that into other areas, that's going to be a common success factor. But, you know, I've worked with clients too, and our team has worked with clients that it's not just weight loss, maybe it's inches around their waist, maybe it's how their clothes fit. And I think really that answer is dependent on the type of client you have and the life stage that they're in. I mean, I've worked with hundreds of clients and the frustration I feel and the frustration I hear when the scale isn't moving you know, is, is incredible. And, and so many times, like you said, Hey, the scale's not moving. It's like, well, send me a picture. You clearly look better or you're clearly stronger. What have you found to be some best practices in that scenario? You know, not to throw women under the bus. It's typically women, right? They're really attached to that number on the scale. How do you handle that? You know, a showing them, look, you are in fact making progress, but B understanding that's something so deep in them that it, it might not just be something that common sense prevails. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A big practice we, we talk about is this idea of noticing and naming, right? Noticing these thoughts and these feelings that are coming up and essentially naming them and, and the impact that it has on their mindset, on the quality of life. And so when we address that, we're, we're, we try to do a very good job of 
you know, calling these out, calling these monsters out, calling this, this negative self-talk out. And, and that's some of the, the work I'm doing with kids at the university is, you know, this was said, but is it like, this is real, but is it true? And so we use that concept to really distinguish what is success and what is not. And for us, it's about breaking that down to the smallest, most measurable unit of forward progress. And so, yeah, it may not, let's say, go back to your example, it may not be a full pound of weight loss, but we also take this time to say, okay, we know it's not a linear thing, right? They're not going to go ahead and lose weight every single time they're on the scale. So we use that to gather data, right? So if we have a, a more advanced client, maybe we're okay with weighing in every day or showing some trends and collecting that. And also, you know, being very upfront with the process of how things will change, right? How stress does affect weight retention, how sleep affects that, how your performance is affected by that. So to wrap all that up, I think it's important to call that out and acknowledge that, but also not get frustrated with them because I think it's a natural part of that process for them. They measure their success with one variable. We don't reach success in their eyes. Therefore, why should I keep trying? So speaking of success, you personally, how do you currently measure your success? As an individual, as if I'm doing my own, like I'm being coach or with the, the clients I work with? You personally, Adam Fight, how does he measure success? Yeah, well, so an easy one for me, let's, let's call it weight loss, right? So I've been very fortunate, you know, when I'm on point, like I've been single digit body fat, I've, I've felt great and performance in the gym is great and life happens, you have kids, you start a PhD, you work a full-time job and whatnot, to reevaluate success, I think is, is a natural part of that. So currently at this time, you know, I might be on a uh, improvement of health. One of those fa factors might be weight loss. So I feel very good about weighing in every day. I use it as data. I look for trends and then I want to look for success, you know, a rolling average, for instance, a little bit lower each week. Uh, another part of my success, you know, I've got a, a bulge thoracic seven disc for my years of strongman. So success is, is going through and making sure that when I leave the gym, uh, that I've, you know, built this two car, amazing garage gym. I've been saving up for years that I'm not in pain. And so that might be a performance variable that might be a nutritional focus. And then, you know, other areas of life too. I'm busy guy with kids, uh, a wife that's doing her degree too. You know, what are my, my BAMs, what we call a piano, bare ass minimums. And for that, it might be, Hey, today was a successful day because I had 20 minutes uninterrupted with my daughter, 20 minutes uninterrupted with my son, and 20 minutes uninterrupted with my wife. We had quality time. So I really try and look at all the domains as possible for a successful day. I like that BAM, but you need to throw in 20 minutes of alone time. You definitely well, need okay. that. Yeah, I, owe, well, I have that on the commute. So as you know, <laughs> <laughs> you got to maximize that when you can, right? But yeah, definitely good call out. So what you said there, though, is really interesting because I think one of the most common things a box owner or just any nutrition coach is going to hear is kind of what you alluded to. Getting my PhD, I got two kids, I'm married, I'm working hard. I don't have the time to eat right. But as you know, it does not take any more time to eat right than it does to, take, to eat wrong. How do we handle that? Talk to me about that as just an open topic. Yeah. What I always like to go back to is when you say yes, when your client says yes to something, you've got to also ask them what they're also saying no to, right? And this goes into the point of essentially 
well, you're saying yes to a poorer food choice, but what are you saying no to? And maybe that's, you're saying no to waking up the next morning, feeling good about yourself. You're saying no to your recovery for your workout, right? And so I take time to, to do that. And then I use the time to explore how this action, how this behavior, how this skill will pay off, whether that's in the immediate short term, right? Short term gratification, or it's the long term. And what I've really noticed with nutrition coaching over the years is this hasn't really changed much, but you know, clients want results and they wanted it yesterday. Would you agree? Oh, oh yeah. They wanted three weeks ago. Exactly. Right. And coaches want to, for the most part, especially when you're starting out, you want to figure out the magic plan, the macros that fit, the, uh, you know, the, the guide that's going to solve everything. We want to give it to them and we want to say, go to work. Let me know if you have any questions, but it should be self-explanatory. And that's not really the case. So as I've gotten older and as I've switched, you know, areas of my focus and, and working with PN, I think we've come to the appreciation that it, it's going to take time. These log jams and obstacles are going to come up and really celebrating that process. Because as we know, right, like immediate rapid weight loss is, is probably not good for you in the long run. It's going to set off a host of, of maybe binging and uh, disordered eating behaviors. And we want to make sure that we're, we're doing it the right way, but we're also doing it with the, the ultimate long-term plan of establishing healthy skills in the long run so that we don't have to come back to this. So, you know, for me, it's, it's taking time and it's, it's acknowledging that and celebrating that just like you would do with any type of performance variable. So, something else you also kind of touched on briefly was this idea of like sleep, stress, nutrition, and fitness. And I kind of refer to those four things as the four pillars, right? Sleep, stress, fitness, and nutrition. I, I think those together are the foundation of just being healthy. Mm -hmm. Which to you is the most important pillar and which to you is the least important pillar? So to recap, we've got sleep, stress, nutrition, and fitness. Yeah. And, and if you have another pillar that I've not thought of, feel free to, to add it there. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, that's a solid foundation right there. I'm going to go with stress. Which as, one? As, 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 most? As, as the most important. Because what I have seen, and, I, and I'm taking a class in stress management right now, is stress can manifest itself in, in, in multiple areas of your life. And I think what we tend to forget is a form of stress cognitively is going to affect us just as much as a physical stress and everything is intertwined and stress may not cause disease but it can certainly impact that and everything comes back down to stress management us as coaches we're, we can be very good stress managers professors can do the same thing clients can do the same thing is how do we manage that how do we move with that so i would say stress is the number one thing thing to consider in terms of fitness nutrition and sleep I might actually go with fitness. That's what you're with? We're on the same page. We, we feel good about that? I feel like, you know, if, if something has to give, it's your training. Like, it doesn't matter how hard you train, if you're not sleeping, if you're not eating right, if you're high stress. Yeah, I mean, I agree. But go on. Tell me why you think that. Well, and just, and I appreciate you clarifying that. I think because when we think of fitness, we have to... Or how do clients define that, right? If, if you're used to training every day for 60 minutes a day and you've got a great deal at your local CrossFit you know, facility and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my fitness sucks because you went from every day to nothing per day, 
there's a lot of varying levels in between, right? So, you know, we talk about at PN, like where, where are we on this dial from like one to 10? So if you're usually crushing it and it's, it's a 10, you know, simply dialing it back down to an eight probably might not make a big difference. And then there are going to be some periods of your day where or your, your, your life or the season you're in, it might be a two, it might be a four. So I think it's important there to consider that you can adjust your, your fitness, but as we say at PN, like you, you hit the pause button or you don't hit the pause button. You can always be moving. You can always be doing something. Simply reframing your fitness goal for the time, be for the time being is, is going to make a world of difference. So you think the most important is stress. How do you manage stress and how do you recommend clients manage stress? If I had figured that out, you and I would be on a book tour right now <laughs> next to motivational speakers filling up the garden. I think when I look at it, obviously being aware is, is the first piece for me, right? So before we can act, we have to be aware of what's happening. And, you know, with my degree, hopefully finishing up this year in terms of psychology, you know, everything comes down to our thoughts, which drive our feelings, which drive our behaviors, right? So for stress management, it comes down to, hey, I'm going to examine the, the space between my ears, right? That could be four to six inches for most people right? But what, what's happening in that headspace, because that's going to drive how you feel about things. So the first step for me is, is I do, I, I do a mental check-in, right? We, we, at PN, we might call these body scans where, you know, what am I thinking? Why am I thinking that? Where did that come from? You know, have you ever found yourself in a conversation maybe with your, your spouse where you just say something and they're like, well, where did, where did that come from? And you're like, well, let me, let me tell you about that, right? Because I thought about this and it led me to that and so forth. So I always like that technique, especially, you know, with the clients I work with. And from there, you know, start to put together these action plans. Like, what can we do with that? So, for instance, I work with a lot of clients that they're, they're focusing on all the uncontrollables, right? We talk about in, in sports psychology, control the controllables, right? If you can't change it, don't worry about thinking about it. You know, it's not going to change. Well, you know, there's some truth to that, but you, you can influence some of things that could happen. So coming down with those ideas and asking those types of questions, that can get you to act accordingly. So. I become aware of it. I start to put together an action plan. And for me, that might be simply, you know, I'm not listening to death metal or gangster rap in the weight room when I train because that's all I hear when I'm in the gym. So that could be a lower sense of, of music choice. That could be unplugging. I don't think we do enough of that as a society. I think we're always tethered and attached to electronics. And I know if I go a family hike with my kids and my wife and we're out there, you know, reconnecting and just conversing with each other instead of a, a ding or notification that helps me too. exercise helps me uh, manage stress and I mean for the most part eating well because I know when I'm eating and the value it provides me I'm going to feel better in, in the hours and days to come Tupac or Biggie I'm gonna have to go with Biggie all right just saying you bring up you know rap I just gotta yeah check, you know check Tra tragic when those guys pass I'm I was a young boy and I was like Wow, it's a sad day in music. It was a sad day. So, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about, you know, stress and, and the mental component of nutrition. How much of nutrition really boils down to that mental? I'd say a, a very large part of that because physiology for the most part hasn't changed, right? But the distractions have the food marketing has, the science of preservatives and advertising have, the containers that we cook our food in, the containers that we store our food in, food delivery service, et cetera, et cetera. So 
all of these things are changing from a system standpoint, from a decision-making framework. I think that's the hardest part. I, re I remember when I first started coaching and I didn't have a lot of money. I was coaching at Arizona State and I literally got by. I lost, let's say I got done playing. I, I probably lost close to 60 pounds just learning about nutrition. And all I had was iceberg lettuce. I had some old muscle milk for protein. I had uh, Miracle Whip and cans of tuna and chicken. Maybe some hey. mixed nuts in there once in a while, but it worked, right? One of the reasons why it worked because I didn't know any better. That's all I did. And I stayed consistent with the process. So I think from the mental capacity to go back to your point is, is a very large part of that, uh, which in fact, you know, influences some of the physical pieces like food preparation strategies, right? Planning your day, time management, et cetera. You know, so I agree. So much of this is mental. And for so many people, it's 20, 30, 40 plus years of routine and habits. And like you said, whether it's commercials or parents' influence, you know, impacting your brain, impacting how you eat. How long does it take to create that new routine and to rewire your brain? So if you ask most people, all right, or the media, and maybe some of the things that you and I see on Instagram, what number, I'm gonna throw this back on you, what number do you commonly see or hear about? How 21. Many days? 21, 21, right? Uh, curious, because uh, I just actually recently learned about it through uh, James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits. But, oh, great, uh, great book, yeah. Great, right? And so the idea of 21 days just came from essentially a, a plastic surgeon back in the 50s and 60s, and it had nothing to do with habit development. It just had to do with, uh, the, the, the time period it took for somebody to get used to something being there or not being there. And I, be, I believe his, his name was Maxwell Maltz. And, and James does a really good job talking about that. But there's been research on it that it's, it's going to be variable, right? I think there's research done in the UK by Dr. Lally in the mid-2010, 12 area that the level of behavior is obviously going to require longer, right? And so, so here, I'll use an example from my, from my personal life. Uh, I wear contacts, very thankful for that, or else it would be a very, uh, very tragic for most people that have to see like my Coke bottle rims and they're dailies and I have to throw them out. And sometimes I, most of the time I forget to take them out before I go to bed. And then when I'm in bed, I'm like, God, oh, I got to take them out again. So I take them out of my eye. I kind of give it a little pinch and then I throw it on the ground. Well, I get this new brand of contacts and all of a sudden those aren't disintegrating anymore. So now I walk up and I'm stepping on old plastic, right? And I'm like, what's, what's going on here? And it, I'm not gonna lie, it took me 10 plus years to figure out, well, if I just put like a jar or a trash barrel next to this, that's going to solve that. So that's an easy thing, but because of that, I was able to stack another habit on that by flossing. So then I move my floss sticks next to my contact box. So now I take my contacts out, I grab the floss stick, and then boom, I'm taking care of my hygiene there. Took me many years to figure out, but now it's so automatic and routine, it's no problem. So it's going to change. And I think as coaches, we have to remember that if we can start with the smallest change possible, build their confidence, grow the confidence that they can use to move forward, you're just going to stack it on one win on top of another win, et cetera. And I, and I would use the same thing with coaching, right? Like we sign up clients, we want them to get through the whole 60 minute session, that's not going to fly. But if we can get them through the warm-up, if we can get them through the skill session, through the Olympic lifting, then maybe through the metabolic work at the end, we're going to be in great shape. So long way of saying, Jason, it depends, man. It depends on how hard it is, where, where the reality is, the gap where they are right now, 
how much support they have. And I think another piece we forgot is how important it is to them. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of what you just said is true, but as coaches, typically if you're coaching fitness, if you're coaching some sort of movement, you're very passionate. It means a lot to you. It's an important aspect of your life. And we kind of impose that belief on other people when maybe they really don't care. They're just here because they want to drop 10 pounds or because their significant other is forcing them to be there. So understanding that. And two other things you said that I think we shouldn't overlook is that idea of habit stacking that James Clear speaks about. And, and, and those kind of that like a minimum effective dose or those small mm-hmm. wins. Cause I think that's probably one of the other biggest mistakes nutrition coaches make is like, Hey, I'm Adam and I want to lose some weight. Great. Here's exactly what you should eat. Here's how often you should eat. You know, this is how big the meals are, by the way, track it, by the way, drink a gallon of water, you know, by the way, all this stuff. And it's like, Whoa, too much. Hey, okay. Have a glass of water tomorrow. Did you do that? Cool. Let's do that again tomorrow. And then let's start adding on to it. Start slowly, start small. Yeah. And I think that's, it's a great point to bring back into the, the circulation of the conversation because we're, we're streamlining it to the smallest effective dose, like you said. But also, I think an important consideration here is as coaches, if we give them all the things that we think they should do, they're going to bring out what we call like their inner toddler, right? They're going to fight back. They're going to tantrum because, you know, this is a basic psychological need is having autonomy. And if we remove the autonomy for them to make the decision, I can almost assure you that most of the time it's not going to go well. But some people that will go well, right? Some people do well, athletes, for instance, a lot of the athletes I work with, coach tell me exactly what I need to do, when I need to do it, how to get it done, and we're going to crush this. Because that's what they're used to, right? They're used to showing, going to practice, going to lift, and being told exactly how much to lift, et cetera, et cetera. But for the most part, especially our clients, they say they want all of that, but deep down, they, they want to have some discussion, right? They want to have some choices. And so an easy tactic we do is, you know, we kind of set the table hey, I have a couple ideas, some habits, some skills I think we can work on. Insert common things here, right? Eat less processed carbohydrates, drink more water, uh, get up and walk five minutes or 10, as smelly as like 10 minute walk, right? 10 minute walks after meals. What do you think you feel good about trying right now? And on a scale one to 10, one being there's no way in hell I can do that and 10 being like, absolutely, I will crush this in my sleep. Where do you fall on that? And I think as coaches, if we break it down to that minimal effective skill or behavior, grow their confidence, we're going to be in great shape, slowing that down accordingly for most clients. I, I love it. I think that's probably one of the best things we've just said is, you know, slow it down, give them those wins, find out what they really want out of this and go from there. We're, what's your stance on cheat days? Well, I, I think we've, yeah. Another no, good this, question. Yeah. Another good yeah. question. <laughs> I think we've seen the memes online, right? Like what's wrong with your diet? And then you see like everything's perfect Monday through Friday. And then there's, you know, that Saturday photo or it's, it's all inclusive. I think for some people in some situations, like The Rock, for instance, there's been a lot of discussion on that. I think the, the, the term they use is like planned hedonic food intake or something like that, where it's part of a structured plan it's going to affect hormone levels, but they've got great support. It has its value, right? We talk about that with our elite level athletes. You know, there's a purpose of a refeeding protocol. For the most part, that's not going to get you results for the people that are working on basic habits like you're working on is your hydration right now. So, I like that. I've been have carrying a gallon around for about That's it, years. man, right? So 
hey, at the end of the week, right, we know that we can't defy physics. There's got to be a, a calorie deficit. How we do that is up to the client and to the coach. For the most part, right, those things, it's very hard to have a cheat meal and not have it turn into a cheat day, right? Friday night with your friends turns into, yeah, we'll crush a Saturday morning, 8 a.m., then it turns into brunch, then it turns into the game on Saturday, and then Sunday morning, well, I'll just start again on Monday because I've said that 52 times already this year. So, Yeah, as someone that's kind of run the gamut and done cheat days back in the day and currently doing one now again, you know, you realize, A, you being diligent during the week is vital. You can't have a cheat day if during the week it gets very gray and right. you're basically opening it up. And, and the second thing I've learned is, I have one cheap meal, including dessert, and it's out of the house. So you don't wake up on Sunday with the leftover pizza or cookies or, you know, what have you. Because it's the, the, the hard part isn't the cheat day. It's getting right back on to, mm -hmm. the, to the strict plan. Yeah. Now, with, with, with that being said, say you were going to have a cheat day tomorrow. Let's call it a cheat meal. What would you have? What would be your go-to cheat meal? It would be Mexican. I'd probably crush about three baskets of tortilla chips with salsa, a loaded burrito with everything in it, extra meat, and you know what? For good measure, just throw a margarita on there too. No dessert. No dessert. Yeah, I'm actually a guy that can, you know, my wife thinks it's crazy, but like her and the kids want to get ice cream all the time. And I'll actually, like, I'd prefer another loaf of bread or something like that. I'm, I'm drawn to more of the, the carby type stuff instead of the, the sweet type of stuff how about you mac and cheese really craft the good craft that's good stuff would you throw in some like adult food in there like uh no. buffalo mac and cheese or lobster mac and cheese you know i can throw a little lobster in there i've had yeah. that before but i like very simple guy um but i'm a big fan there's we moved to boulder and there's a place called crumble cookies it's a chain but there's not a ton of them around yet every every saturday night three of those bad boys and they're about 800 calories each Wow. But you built it into your plan, right? You built it into your tracking. So I'm super clean all week. Mm -hmm. um, you know, track my macros, but then what date night, you know, the wife and I, wherever she wants to go, I'll eat there, but then crumble cookies after. Hey, so go ahead. Well, I was going to, you know, I'm taking it off topic of now again, but you've got two kids and clearly based on talking to you, your website, your kids are important to you, your, mm -hmm. your, your kids specifically. What are something you're doing better than your parents did to set them up for success with nutrition? Giving them choices is huge. And to actually, you know what, I'm going to say that's a huge factor, right? But also making sure that I'm not forcing them to eat everything before they leave the table. Because... I'm not one to, uh, you know, causate and correlate, but I did a lot of finishing the plate and then I ended up playing offensive line in college, right? So it's important there that kids are remarkable with their hunger awareness and their hunger cues, right? So when my son's like, I'm not really hungry, it's amazing how accurate he is. He's a guy that can take a candy bar, right? We just had Valentine's Day, eats a half a Kit Kat and he's like, I'm good. 
And then my daughter and I, on the other hand, are like, all right, five Kit Kats later. So yeah. it, it, it could be a, a deadly turn. So I would say I'm, I'm very proud. Lo love mom, dad. Appreciate you. Don't know if you'll ever be listening to this, but I'll send it to you. They are, they are some of our biggest fans, your parents. They yes. are, right? Uh, the, fight, the fight family. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I don't think I've ever done a podcast with a shout out to my folks. So thank you for that. But yeah, just being okay with that, right? Like not being like, no, you're not leaving until you finish not leaving until you finish. And that's just bad. And, and just in giving them choices, right? So we might have a, a simple option, right? We might have three veggies cooked and prepped. We might have, you know, one to two carb options. We might have one to two protein options and, and, and opportunities for these treats to be there. Having that and, and giving them autonomy to choose, I think has been a really good addition to my, my parenting life. So I just got back from Reno. I spent a couple of days with the founder of Ice Age Meals. His name's Paleo Nick. I don't know if you've heard of him, but you know, great meals if you want to buy some some great, good quality paleo uh, delivered to your house. And he had two kids around the same age. One dove into the steak and asparagus that we had for dinner. The other one, not having it. You know, do, do, do either of your kids have that? Paleo Nick is also known as Adam Fight, if you believe that, because that's exactly what I have. My son is, my oldest son is very particular. I won't say picky, particular. My daughter will eat anything and everything. So it has caused some opportunities to, to learn and grow as parents and being okay with being okay. And I think actually one of the biggest things that helped was we had a really good pediatrician when we first had them and we were living in New Jersey at the time. And you know, I'm worried as hell, right? Like I'm working for PN. I'm thinking, oh gosh, if anybody finds out how my son's eating, like I'm a fraud, Jade, you know, Berardi's going to fire me. Like this is not good. And the pediatrician's like, if he's getting one solid meal in a day and you feel really good about it as a parent and it's covering most of your nutrients, like, don't worry about it. Like they're going to figure it out. And so, you know, it's been good. Yeah. Is he a little undersized? Yeah. But you know, my, I'm six one and my wife's five feet. So I can blame that. Right. So they're definitely very different eaters. So there's no forcing of the steak. We always offer opportunities to try. And, you know, I think, I forget what some of the new food research says, but you have to try things like 30 to 40 times to actually make a conscious decision if you like it or not. And so, you know, my son might, hey, can we, can we try a carrot? We might try something every week. But yep, no forcing. We know his go-to meals. We prepare for that, right? Like he, he loves, you know, ground beef there could be a lot worse things to, to fall back on, right? Mm -hmm. So, hey, are we working on his fruits and veggies? No question, but we know it works and we're okay with offering the opportunity. But yeah, there's no forcing in that household. That's actually the same thing I've told women that I've dated over the years. Like, you gotta give me 30 to 40 tries before you make a decision here. Let me ask you a couple more questions before I let you go. What's one thing you used to believe about nutrition that you no longer believe? Carbs are the enemy. How did you come to that realization? I actually did a carb cycle. I tried carb cycling out in, let's see, early 2009. Read about it. There were some guys on Elite FTS at the time writing about it. I can't remember their names right now. Uh, Shelby Starnes, I think, was writing about it at one point and just was like, there's no way I can eat like 600 grams of carbs and, and get lean. And I did. So I had read some of the books, I think like a lot of mainstream people did like Gary Tobes and bad calories and good calories. And this just 
despicable notion that like one hormone could cause all this havoc. It's, it's way bigger than that. So carbs are good. Carbs are your friend. If you're training, man, you're going to need them. So enjoy them while you can. How do you, I agree with you full heartedly, but how do you get that into people's heads? Cause again, it's one of those things. If you grew up in the eighties, nineties, you know, like I did, you know, there's a period of time where fat was bad. Then carbs got this, you know, terrible reputation. And, and I think a people need to get over it, but B they also just, you know, they're just ignorant about it and, and not, you know, ignorant, not necessarily in a bad way. It's like carbs are bad, but then they're, crushing carbs and not even realizing you know they're eating you know granola bars and healthy yogurts and all of those things or the people that are like i can't have fruit because fruit is a carb mm -hmm. so all of those things what i get very frustrated about it um and i and i love you know coach glassman the crossfit founder you know something that he always says that works so well is just how's that working for you oh because, you stole my thunder <laughs> uh you know because Cause that's typically it. It's like, okay, cool. You came to me cause you want to lose 50 pounds, but you have this belief in your head. What's it going to take for you to, to, to listen to me? Like, why are we here? Why are you paying me? Yeah. How so do you, how go do we, ahead. we use yeah. exactly the phrase that you talked about. We talked about outcome-based decision-making. Some of the, the most important words that we talk about in coaching is how is that working for you and show me. And I think an important consideration here as a coach is to really have them critically evaluate and not being a jerk about it, right? Hey, so, Jake, how's that working for you, right? Like, it can get misconstrued in a multiple different ways. But explore what they're doing and then open it up for discussion of, well, what's working, what's not working, and then essentially, like, well, how is this insert type of style of, you know, eating working for you? And when you actually take the time to ask them a, a simple question like that, they're going to come up with, well, it's not, obviously, that's why I hired you or something like that, right? So we take that in consideration. And the other piece of that is, as I said earlier about like showing me, right? I have athletes all the time, clients that are just like, oh, that's too easy, coach. All right, show me. Like, show me that eating a vegetable or a fruit or both in every meal is too easy. Prove it, just show it to me. So what also helps with that context, especially with the carb notion, is if they are so on one end of the spectrum, fighting and pushing and pulling them to the completely other side, right? Let's say there are no carbs to all carbs, we're always going to lose that battle. And moving along the spectrum, so a person might be like, I don't need any carbs, and they're smashing salads. They are smashing veggies all day, every day. Well, there's carbs in those, right? It's like five grams, you know, per cup of, you know, vegetables for the most part. So calculating all that out, showing them the data, and then moving towards more sources that don't seem like carbs, right? Like fruits or whole grains and all these aspects, because they just associate it with the, the good stuff, we call it, right? The sweets, the sugars, the candies, the pastas, the English muffins, and the, the little nice cinnamon toasts with the swirl. You know what I'm talking about, Jason, right? Of course, so, I know what you're talking about, yes. Going from one end to the other, it's a losing battle. Meet your clients where they're at, help them understand what they're doing, how it's helping them, how it's not helping them, and clarifying where they want to go and being okay to experimentation. And if not, ding, 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 you got to find another way. You got to find a way to get them as close to where is where they want to go with the restrictions that they might be placing on you. That's no different than me working at high level athletics and coaches are like, 
but we're not changing lift. We're not changing practice time. We're not changing. I was at the Panthers, man. We had Bojangles every Wednesday. Bojangles is like Southern KFC Chick-fil-A. Could not change that. Had to do the best I could with it. It's delicious. Yeah, it's got its place. Mac and cheese is on point. I'll tell you that much. Did you ever watch the TV show The League? The League? No. Uh, you remind me very much of one of the actors in it. Is that a good thing? Yeah, it's a good thing. It's mostly your voice. It's your voice. But uh, okay. you look a send little me, bit like him as well. If you can send me an audio. I get J.J. Watt sometimes. Uh, I could, I could see. Uh, it's the lighting. Uh, I know. You don't see it. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Here's a true tough question for you. Are the PN people are trying to get into the CrossFit space, right? In a good way. Not like they're invading, but it, they're, they're sh showing, hey, this is a good way to go. This is how we can help educate your coaches, you know, educate your mm -hmm. members. Are the PN employees, the people like you, the, the, the people that you work with, actually doing CrossFit? We do have quite a bit, actually. Our PN team is growing. I actually can't give you the official total right now. I know when I joined, we had probably about 60 people worldwide. I think, I think we're over 100 right now. We do have quite a bit of people that are going. And actually, every time that we have our, our team gathering or like annual meetings, we almost always have a get together actually when we were down in miami last year or two years ago i called up and set up some team workouts at the miami crossfit so yeah we got some crossfitters man we got some people that you know love throwing some heavy weight around we got some people that love going for the community and, and just getting better so it is, it is part of a piece of the pn culture very cool very cool to hear that all right last couple of things we're going to do i'm going to show some words at you you're going to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind love this game you ready no, but we'll figure it out. Go. All right, let's go. Nothing too crazy. Keto. Fat. Paleo. Meat. Zone. Mixed. <laughs> I actually thought of Jennifer Aniston first. I'll say that. <laughs> All right, there you go. Uh, donuts. Don't eat enough of them. You don't eat enough of them. No. I don't eat any, really. I don't even, where are you right now? Where's your house? I am in Western Massachusetts. About 90 minutes west of Boston. What, what town? Wilbraham, right outside of Springfield. Is there a good donut shop there? I haven't looked. I should, though. That's a good challenge. I'll get back to you. Are you close to Amherst? Yes, I am. About 40 minutes south. My favorite pizza spot. I can't remember the name. You always remember your favorites, Jason. Oh, uh, it's so good. They do one slice at a time. They're huge, and you can throw toppings oh, on Oh, I've it. been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right by UMass. I've been there. My cousin took me there. Yep. Yeah. I'll find Macro out the name for you, my man. Please do. Macros. Useful, but not for all. My fitness pal. Great tool. Check the data. Not always accurate. Kale. Very popular on the West Coast. <laughs> all right. Last two. We're going to go with this one first. Strongman. Love it. Strongest man in three states when I competed. Were you really? What? What? Yeah. The, the smallest states like Delaware, Rhode Island. Uh, settle down. <laughs> Delaware was one. Okay. <laughs> I was actually Chicago's strongest man in two thousand and nine. Kentucky's strongest man two thousand. Actually, Chicago two thousand eight. Kentucky two thousand nine. And Delaware two thousand twelve. All right. Pretty sure Chicago's not a state, but we can overlook. Part that. of Illinois. I took second in <laughs> Illinois. I didn't want to talk about it. So thanks. <laughs> Last question. CrossFit. I think it has done so much for 
everyone in the entire world in health and fitness, and we don't give it enough credit. I'll be honest. I'm just going to be honest with you. No, and you know, I can appreciate hearing that. Actually, going back to Mark Bell, he mm -hmm. was at a recent, I don't know, you know, a couple of weeks ago, one of his daily vlogs, he was at HQ, and he was just saying how much it you know, has impacted every aspect, even Strongman, which you're clearly a fan of. When I had my boxes, we had a Strongman program, and none of those people would have been introduced, myself included, had a, you know, it's a, it's a great gateway fitness program, if you will. And some stick with it, you know, just like, hey, you might stick with pot, you never find the other drugs, but, but some go off the rails and, you know, are, you know, shooting heroin like Strongman. Are they shooting heroin these days? I don't know if they are, but it's, I'd imagine. Yeah, but, but, that's, but that's such a great point, Jason, because when we look at like the types of people, right? Like I, I got married pretty young. I got married when I was like 26. You know, the, the average weight of my like wedding party, my groomsmen party, like was like 287, right? Like those, we, we were some big dudes. And I saw one of them like a year or two later and I was like, wow. He's like, yeah, I do CrossFit, lost 30 pounds. And I'm like, dude, good for you. Like you're, you're a corrections officer. Like you're limited on time. You found something that you love. He's like, I just, just miss the competitive nature. I want to get back out on the field. So whether it's moms, dads, aunts, uncles, girlfriends, ex-girlfriends, what have you, like if we really take a lens and look back on how much CrossFit has done for health and fitness and for the general population, more, more credit's needed. So appreciate everybody that's been involved there. All right, before I let you take the floor and you know, give your shout outs to PN and yourself so people can find you out there, one last question. About a year ago, you were on the OPEX podcast. Today, you're on the Best Hour podcast. Which one was better? I will say I understand the host a little bit better on this one. <laughs> this was awesome. You, you didn't have OPT wasn't interviewing you, was he? No, shoot. Uh, gosh, forget his name right now. He's going to kill me. Uh, he's, he's, I, forgettable. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. That's, that's, that's the point. He's from he Ireland. His, his accent is super thick. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I will say this, we, uh, this was, this was a fun time. You know what I, you know, I know it was a good time because we got on, you're like, all right, dude, like 20, 30 minutes. And I'm like, here we are 57 minutes in, couldn't get enough of me. Right. So for the record, I, I always, I always say that just in case it's boring, but then I hope that it'll be, you know, like 45 to an hour. I like what you did there. You, that was a good reframe right there, my man. I appreciate that. You know, and, and, and that's what happened. Robbie, happened Robbie Bork, Robbie Bork. That's him, Robbie. Love Robbie. you, Robbie. Robbie O'Malley from Ireland. So, you know, you come on Best Hour, you get the hosts. You get me or you get Fern. You go on the OPT podcast, you don't get OPT. You don't get James Fitzgerald. You get Robbie from Ireland. Not that he's a bad guy. I'm just saying, you come on our show, you get the best. You know, we had John Berardi on. They said, who do you want from Precision Nutrition? I said, well, give me John. Give me Dr. John. And they said, I don't think he'll do it. The next day, you know, there he was on my Zoom call. So I wasn't John's replacement. No, no, you are in addition to John. That is outstanding. A, a welcome addition. A, a welcome addition. <laughs> but you know, thanks for coming on. Please, before you get off, where can people find you? Maybe you know, one or two people liked you after listening to this episode. Out of out of the dozens that listened to this, so maybe one or two. Like, I need to find out more about this guy. But then also, where can they find out more about Precision Nutrition? how to sign up for their PN1 and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. Well, hey, I appreciate you, your mission, your podcast. And if you're one of the 12 people still listening by now, 
I am pretty active on social. So I'm on Instagram, A-E Fight, F-E-I-T. Twitter, Adam underscore fights. And Facebook, probably the best medium because I'm in my mid-30s and Facebook is still cool for us. So you can reach me there. But uh, check us out at Precision Nutrition. Again, we are the, the largest nutrition coaching uh, certification and software company in the world. And we love what we do. We want to help you become better versions of yourselves. If you're still listening, uh, check out our website. So there's a nice offer for you to check out one of our recent tools that's completely free. So it's precisionnutrition.com slash best hour because you and I both know this is the best hour of your day. And learn more about us, what we do, why we do it, and most importantly, how we can help you help others in this awesome world of health and fitness. So appreciate all of you. Yeah, and for the record, like I said, I've done it. My wife's done her one and two. My partner, Fern, he's starting the level one because, you know, we're, we're going to take it again. We got access to a, a second time. And, you know, not that everything's changed in the nutrition world, but you guys are always updating. We got new books. It's no, no longer that one huge textbook. You know, it's like three books and, and John Berardi's Game Changer book, uh, or, I'm sorry, Change Maker, thrown in there. So um, it's, it's really a great company. And we're proud to you know, be partnered with, with you guys and to help people just help other people. That's what it's all about. You guys, you do it well and you do it for the right reasons, which is you know, what best hour of their day is all about. So thank you very much, Adam. It's really been fun chatting with you. Fun to talk with you as well, Jason. Hopefully we can do it again. Thanks again for listening to best hour of their day. And thanks again to our special guest. We appreciate all you guys do for us with best hour of their day when it comes to sharing our posts on Instagram, when it comes to subscribing to us on YouTube, when it comes to the constant feedback, we are grateful and we appreciate it. We are trying to build a community based on coaching development and becoming the best version of yourself. And it goes without saying that we couldn't do without all of you. So if you haven't already please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Season one of Dropping In is out. We are getting tremendous feedback and we'd love for you to check it out. Leave us a comment on there. Head over to our Instagram, give us a follow, like our pictures, feel free to share anything that resonates with you. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or feedback for us, please don't hesitate. Email us, day at gmail.com. Thanks again. Until the next episode, we hope you've had the best hour of your day.